You're listening to a bonus episode of The Dairy Age, featuring Chagisk's weekly Let's Talk Dairy webinar series, which is also available as a podcast. Good morning, everybody. We're now starting the second uh, short webinar in our series on lameness in pasture-based dairy cows. And last week, we had Ned Dunphy from the Farm Relief Services in Waterford on, and Ned talked about the three principal causes of lameness in pasture-based dairy uh, farms. So the, the, the key ones were Martinaro was the infectious one, and then he talked about soil ulcers, and he talked about uh, white Lyme disease. I mean, the three really important uh, causes of lameness in, in dairy cows. This week, we're lucky to be joined by Natasha, Natasha Brown. Natasha is, uh, holds a primary degree in zoology from Swansea, and she holds a PhD in dairy cow lameness from Nottingham University. And currently she's working as a technologist with uh, down in Moor Park. And she's also attached to the Resilience for Dairy program that we're also working um, this series of webinars through as well. <clears throat> so you're very welcome to join us here this morning, uh, Natasha. Thanks, George. No bother at all. Now, maybe, Natasha, what you, what you, you plan to do here today is to bring us through your um, a kind of a summary of your yeah. studies into lameness on Irish dairy farms. Yeah, so I'm going to go over the project I did as part of my PhD, which looked at kind of different aspects of lameness um, within the Irish pasture-based system. Um, so yeah, this is within conjunction with University of Nottingham, as George said, as well as Chagas down here in Moorpark. Um, so I'll just do a bit of background first to why reducing lameness is so important. Um, so lameness impacts all three pillars of sustainability, environmental, social and economic so firstly, kind of going into some of the more social aspects um, of the impacts of lameness. So lameness is a massive welfare issue, as you all know, just the pain it causes the animal. Um, the consumer is also becoming a lot more aware um, of where its food's coming from, and they want to know that their product is coming from a farm that pra practices good animal welfare. So therefore, reducing lameness within the farms goes towards ensuring the consumer sees a positive animal welfare um, in terms of the dairy industry. Yeah. Uh, lameness, again, is also frustrating for the farmers. So it's best that actually relate to the farmer themselves. So no one wants to see their cows on their farm lame and um, the pain they're in. Um, it also takes up a lot of time and has obviously um, increased costs as well to the farm. So just to quickly go over some lameness scoring, which we'll be covering throughout, just to give you an overview of this. So lameness scoring is where you watch your individual cow walking along a flat concrete surface for about eight to 10 strides, scoring her from zero to three, um, where a score zero is kind of a good mobility, pretty perfectly walking a flat back, even strides. Imperfect would be where she's kind of got a slightly arched back, shortened strides, but she's not actually lame. There's not an identifiable leg where she is lame on. But when you get to a score two and three, for both of these cows, you can actually see which leg she is identifiably lame on. You can actually pick out that key leg. Um, and the difference then between a two and a three. So a three is being severely lame. So she can't actually keep up with the rest of the herd or keep up with kind of like a brisk human walking pace. OK, Natasha, just tell us a little bit before we go on about yeah. your experience in terms of being uh, trained as an assessor of lameness. Where did that take yeah. Yeah, so in the UK, as part of a lot of kind of milk contracts um, within the UK, the farms have to be lameness scored by an external observer. 
Um, so due to this, there's courses available called ROMS. So this is R-O-M-S, so Register of Mobility Scorers course. So you carry out a course. Um, it took about four days to do the training um, in person where you do theory and then also go out and practice the actual lameness scoring. And then after this, you then carry out an online exam where you watch videos of the cows walking and you score them and to pass a certain percentage, then you get on this registered list and can then be an accredited scorer. But even if it's not useful to become a credit scorer, it's just a great course for actually learning how to do the mobility scoring and how to carry out the So process. who is doing, who is, who are the trainees? Uh, so, the if you, so if you look up the website, um, there's lots of different practices that do these courses, like maybe related, related to the vet practices. Um, Nick Bell is a big one, a vet that does a lot of these courses, Um he kind of came up with the training in the first place. So he's a... And are there many, are there many dairy farmers doing it? Uh, a lot of dairy farmers have to do it as part of their milk contract. So, oh. for example, at home, I think we have to do it. We carry it out once a month at home. Um, dairy yeah. yeah. And the different milk contracts would be different, but farmers on some of them have to carry it out as a practice and submit their results, um, which would be common in Ireland, yeah. It's probably fair to say, Natasha, that this training underpinned your knowledge in the area when you were doing your PhD subsequently. Isn't that correct? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, without yeah. the adequate training in this, like it's hard to carry out the scoring or know that you're definitely doing it correctly. OK. Um, no, the training was definitely very beneficial and it was done. It was very well done and interactive. And no, I very much recommend the training. OK, so just to summarize what you're saying is... Um, Zero is a perfectly mobile cow. Yeah. A severely lame cow, which is score three, is a cow that just can't keep up with the rest of the herd. Yeah. So she's lame on one leg in particular that you can identify. And yep, she can't she can't keep up with the rest of the herd. Whereas score two can keep up with the herd, but she's still definitely got a leg that is lame. And score one is just a kind of a shortened stride and a bit of short. Yeah, kind of just not quite perfect, but she's not actually lame on a single on a single leg. Okay. Very good. Okay, Natasha, that's great. Thank you. So now we've kind of explained that this will help with this slide as well. So firstly, the estimated cost as lameness is approximately 300 euro per cow. And obviously this changes depending on the lesion type or the severity as well. So this could range upwards or downwards of this value. And also this is back in 2004. Um, So it's likely that I'd say this price has also gone up since then. Um, So yeah, doing all we can to reduce lameness will definitely help with improving costs. Um, or reducing costs anyway. Um, and then a recent study, well, a study done here published in 2019 by Ashling O'Connor. Um, so she looks at comparing the different mobility scores. So comparing the imperfect to severely impaired, so the scores one to three, and she compared these different scores um, to a score of zero, so that perfect, um, good, that good mobility cow. Um, yeah. So it showed that there was a decrease in milk yield um, for the score two and three cows, so for those lame cows. Um, also an ch- alteration in the fat and protein percentage. Um, so that shows a decrease there. Um, an increase in the somatic cell counts. So this then links to mastitis. And also an increase in the calving intervals. So this shows how lameness actually has an impact on the fertility of the dairy cow as well. Yeah. Um, and also the big one here is that the big increase in culling percentages um, as the cow gets kind of higher up that mobility scoring scale towards the scale zero. Um, yeah. So if you just take a mobility score there and you're yeah. talking about a, a 50% increase in culling, if among, for example, your cows are in perfect mobility, 
you're, you're calling 10% of them, well, then at mobility score two, you're probably calling 15% of those cows. Yeah. So it'd be um, compared to, yeah, the culling rate of that, of the score zero. So we're not saying that half the herd, half of the twos are getting um, culled. It's just that comparing it to that score of zero. Score of zero, half as many again. And yeah. it's almost twice as many for the cows at mobility yeah. score three. Yeah, it's exactly. Actually, it's actually impressive that not more of them are going in calf, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That less that the less of them that not more of them are empty at the end of the season. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So high, high cost impacts in terms of yield, cell count, fertility, and culling rates. Very yeah, good. it has an impact on a lot of different aspects. So okay, very good. Okay, Natasha. So then I'm going to just go on to some of the study um, that I did as part of my PhD. So this took place in 2019 and 2020. So we visited spring calving non-organic pasture-based herds with a herd size between 30 and 250 cows. This was kind of to make sure the farms we visited were representative of the average Irish dairy farm. So you can see here the locations of all the different farms we visited. Um, so we kind of kept to the main dairy farming counties um, yeah. within Ireland. So in total, we visited 99 dairy farms during the grazing period. Um, and then we revisited 85 of these same farms during the subsequent housing period. So during the winter there. Okay, and I suppose just for international visitors, uh, more yeah. park is down there in the bottom where Natasha is based. So the farms that she visited tended to be clustered close enough to to Moore Park to make a assessment on visiting uh, reasonably easy. Yeah, they were all within um two hours of Moore Park just for yeah. ease. But the county surrounding Moore Park are generally the ones with the higher number of dairy farms, so kind of worked in that kind of way as well. And on average, around 100 cows in the herd and pasture. It's 109. That's what you told me. Yeah, the 100, about 108, 109 um, okay. average, I think. Um, okay. So slightly higher than the Natural. average not dairy herd, but not too much higher. Very good. Yeah. Okay. So as part of data collection, so each visit, um, we carried out lameness scoring um, of the herd. So this is using that again, that zero to three lameness scoring scale that I went over earlier. So in total, um, including the both visits, we scored over 20,000 dairy cows throughout Ireland. Okay. We then hoof scored up to 20 of the lame cows um, that we identified through the lameness scoring. So this was lifting up the back hooves of the cow. Um, you, the trimmer came out to help us with that. Um, and then we identified the different lesions present on the two of the back hooves. We then did a questionnaire with the farmer. So this kind of was to identify what management practices um, in terms of lameness, as well as general management practices that were taking place on the farms currently. And then lastly, we carried out infrastructure measurements. This was looking at measurements of, say, the cow tracks, like in that photo there, as well as the housing measurements, um, measurements of the collecting yard and the milking parlour as well. Mm. Natasha, the hoof scoring part there, what, yeah. what hoofs were you scoring? Were you scoring hoofs in cows that had, had a lame to score two and three, or were you looking at ones in lame to score one as well? No, so it was just uh, due to time, like we wish we could have done yeah. all of the different Four. scores, but due to time we decided that um, we'd get the most information out of just lifting the lame ones, so we uh, chose to do the twos and threes only, yeah. and this was split depending on how many twos and threes um, were scored kind of split okay. proportion of each cow there and um, okay. so yeah twos and threes only so the lame cows basically okay so then going into some of the results here um so this is looking at the lameness prevalence 
So um, again, looking at those lameness scores two and threes, these are the cows that we'd class as lame. So during grazing, we found that the average lameness prevalence was 7.9% and during housing was 9.1%. So there really isn't much difference between the two visits. Um, and these are actually relatively low lameness prevalence compared to other system types and other countries, say fully confined or house systems. So, for example, in the UK, the average lameness prevalence has been shown to be around 30 percent. So this is showing quite a big uh, decrease compared to these results found in the UK. So compared to indoor systems where maybe roughly half as many cows will be yeah. lame in an outdoor system. Yeah, if not a third lower, yeah. Very good. Yeah. yeah. Um, however, saying this, the average may be low, but if you look at across the different farms, so on each graph here, the each bar there represents um, a single farm, um, with the orange and red there representing the lame cows. So you can see from the left-hand side when there's a low number of the orange through to the right where there's a big larger, a larger proportion that are red and orange. This showed that the lameness prevalence varies dramatically across farms. So during grazing, there was the lowest was a farm with 1% lameness through to a maximum of 31%. And during housing, there was actually one farm that had um, had no lame cows present on the farm and then up to a 28%. So this like large variation show there's still a lot of farms that could do a lot to reduce their lameness prevalence further. Um, and some EU or documents legislation has stated we should be aiming to reach a 2% prevalence. Yeah. Um, so what, within what you're saying, Natasha, is that Farmers can do things to reduce the incidence of lameness by quite a bit on their farms. And you see yeah. such very okay. Yeah, very exactly. Yeah. Um, there's still a lot like a 31% being the highest, like that's still a that's well, even the average yeah. of one in one in nine, say cows, that's still nearly 10% of the whole all of right. cows on Ireland that are lame. Like that's still a high, that's still a high number, even if it's right. lower compared to other systems. Correct. So then to look at some of the results we got from lifting the hooves of the cows. Um, so we found that sole hemorrhages um, or bruising there had the highest prevalence with 78% of these lame cows showing a sole hemorrhage, followed by white line disease and overgrown claws. So obviously this image there of the white line is fairly severe. We're not saying that all the lame cows had a white line disease that was this severe. They had just some form of white line disease. Um, all of the lesion types that we looked at um, or identified all had a prevalence of less than 15% within these lame cows. Mm. With mortillero or digital dermatitis being the most prevalent of the infectious lesions. Um, so this had a 10% or well, 10% of the lame cows we looked at on average had mortillero present. Okay. So this shows that the infectious lesions are actually less common than the non-infectious lesions within this Irish dairy system or the pasture-based system where in comparison, a fully housed systems would tend to have higher amounts of those infectious lesions. Okay. So now we're just going to look at some of the different management practices and way that farmers can help um, mitigate lameness um, on their farms. So back to the lameness scoring again, I guess. Um, we cannot treat a lame cow if she's not being detected. Um, so this again is that zero to three lameness scoring scale, and this is it being carried out here in this image here. So currently only 1% um, of farmers are actually regularly or carrying out lameness scoring at least say once per year, which would be relatively low numbers um, even at that. And 57% of farmers were not familiar of what lameness scoring was, or if they were familiar, they weren't sure how to actually carry out the actual process themselves. Um, so this shows there's a huge need to, for education and 
if we can kind of teach this practice and get this out there, um, we could really help to detect those um, those lame cows early. So I guess going back to the basics, we all know that we can detect a score three cow. We can see her walking at the back of the herd. She's severely lame. She's very obvious. So this lameness scoring is just really helpful for detecting those more mildly lame cows. So the score twos and making sure they don't then further develop into a score three, um, which reduces the chance of recovery. So then once she's been detected, the next stage is then ensuring prompt and effective treatment. So looking at those score two cows, so the more mildly lame cows, it's recommended that they're treated as soon as possible, but definitely within that 48 hour window after detection. And for a score three cow, she should be treated immediately upon detection um, without any waiting period. So currently 28% of Irish farmers that we spoke to waited for more than 48 hours to treat a lame cow. And additionally, 21% waited for more than one lame one cow to be lame before getting her treated. So this is likely due to the farmer waiting for multiple cows to be lame um, before calling the trimmer out um, to get the lame cows treated. Um, so increasing this waiting period really um, reduces the chance of recovery. Um, so it should be encouraged to get the cows treated as soon as possible. Okay. Then in terms of um, effective treatment, Studies in the University of Nottingham um, recently in recent years have shown that in addition to trimming and using a block placed on the opposite claw to where the lesion is present, just to take that weight off that lesion, NSAIDs should also be used. So these are non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. So kind of a bit like ibuprofen that we might take if we had a muscle issue or yep. um, wanted some pain relief. So this really has shown that using these NSAIDs really helps improve recovery on top of just doing that trim. Um, farmers should also be encouraged to keep their cows close to the parlour when they are lame. So this could be in a paddock um, close by to the parlour um, or in a straw pen, for example. So currently only 12% of farmers were keeping their severely lame cows closer to the parlour. And this was even lower again for those that were mildly lame. And I think this is a particularly important aspect for the Irish dairy system when the cows are walking um, long distances each day, um, twice a day, possibly backwards and forwards between milking. Um, so if she is lame, she should be encouraged to keep closer um, to that parlour to reduce her walking distance, uh, mitigate her pain while she's walking and really help recovery um, and help her recover as quick as possible. Okay. And I think this is particularly important if she's having to walk on rough roadways. Um, if you are in pain on your foot, you wouldn't want to be walking on roadways um, with stones digging in, for example. Um, so especially when the roadways are in bad condition, keeping the cow close to the parlour is really important. Then going on to a bit about cow comfort and lying time. So we really need to encourage cows to be lying down as much as possible, reducing the standing time on that solid concrete surfaces. So by doing this, um, adding, ensuring all farms have at least 10% more cubicles than cows really encourages lying time um, within the herds and decreases that standing time. Um, another aspect of this is ensuring good cubicle comfort. So this would be, for example, ensuring there is a mat or mattress present on all the beds, possibly having additional bedding on top of this as well, just to increase the comfort, encourage the lying time, mitigate the amount of time the cow is standing. Also ensuring the cubidine dimensions are of the correct dimensions to encourage the cow to lie down. So an important aspect of this would be ensuring there is a large enough lunge space. So the space out the front of the cubicle 
um, for the cow to get up and down um, to encourage her to lie down more often. Okay. And again here, this is actually very important for the um, less dominant cow within the herd. Um, so if there's only just enough cubicles um, for say one cow cubicle per herd, it's more likely that the more dominant cows will take priority of these cubicles, um, leading the less dominant cows standing for longer periods of time. So it's really important for mitigating lameness in these least, less dominant cows um, for sure. And the last one here I have is there should be a plan in place. Um, only 15% of farmers had a herd health plan currently that had lameness management protocols included within it. Um, so most herd health plans are saying include information on like when they're going to vaccinate, for example. Um, but including lameness is important as well. And there should be a team approach with your farmer and the vet or maybe with your advisor as well. So this could include information such as, are you going to carry out lameness scoring? How often are you going to carry this out? How you're going to go about treatment of your lame cows? Um, if you're going to carry out rooting trimming, is it required? How often are you going to do it and when? And then in terms of foot bathing, again, how often? What solution you're going to use? Ensuring you have the correct concentration. Um, so a risk assessment should be carried out on the farm to find out how they can mitigate lameness and put a plan in place to help um, reduce and prevent it. So this should then be continuously updated as practices are implemented and improvements are made. Um, this can be reviewed again to see if there can be further improvements made um, to further reduce the prevalence of lameness again. So I guess the take home messages here are that lameness scoring should be carried out at least once per month. Yep. Um, early detection and prompt treatment and potentially increasing the amount of NSAIDs or pain relief used um, for treatment of the lame cow. Having a lame cow paddock or pen to reduce the amount of walking time the lame cow has to do. And increasing cow cubicle comfort um, and having enough cubicles per cow, preferably that 10% more cubicles than cow to reduce the standing time and increase the lying time of that cow. Mm. And also discuss a herd health plan with your vet or advisor to really have a risk assessment done and have a plan in place and how you can go forward um, to reducing lameness within your herd. Okay. And then just the last slide here, this is just some papers that have been written um, on the lameness prevalence management practices, risk factors and the hoof lesions within um, this Irish dairy study um, done within Ireland. And then recently, there's also been a new booklet that's been produced um, in conjunction with Chagas. Um, so this is a guide for farmers um, and it's a really good guide. Um, take a look there at the link um, there below, um, really help farmers to ways they can um, help reduce lameness within their herd. Okay. Yeah, that's that's all. We've we one question in Natasha. Uh, yeah. Were farmers in the study were they aware or surprised by their herd lameness scores? And did you notice a link between lameness and cow breed or, or even cow production? Yeah. So generally, they thought their lameness prevalence was generally lower actually than than expected on a lot of farms. Um, okay. So generally, farmers were underestimating their lameness prevalence within the herd. Uh, I can say the one farmer that had no lame cows, he was very surprised and very happy. Um, but generally, yes, um, there was much lower. Um, it was underestimated by the farmer compared to what we found. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, and then the second question there on breed, and we didn't find much effective breed, but in terms, we looked at the predicted transmitting ability for lameness within the study. Yeah. Um, so this was comparing a negative and a positive PTA, um, and we found that those with um, the those with the positive PTA did have a higher prevalence of lameness or risk for lameness. Um, so this really shows that farmers should be selecting bulls that have a negative PTA for lameness or at least have a PTA for lameness that is lower um, than the cow itself that you're breeding from. Okay, so two things. Uh, I suppose if I picked up two things from the whole presentation, the first is that management is a big influencer of, um, of uh, the incidence of lameness on dairy farms. And if you have a, a lameness problem on your farm, well, you need a plan just to maybe decide how you're going to tackle things. And secondly, as cows arise with lameness issues, you treat them promptly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think having that plan in place, you know what to do when when you have an issue. It's not wondering what to do then. If you know what your plan is, it can happen and get that cow treated as soon as possible to, and well, hopefully make a full recovery following this. It, it also sounds like waiting for a bundle of cows to call their farm relief in or a hoof trainer in yeah. might be the way to go. Yeah, not ideal, but obviously it can increase the cost sometimes for getting a hoof trainer out for an individual cow. But if you could possibly get rid of some overgrown claws yeah. um, in some of your non-lame cows, for example, um, you could increase kind of what you're getting out of the tremor coming for a visit. Okay. Now, ladies and gentlemen, um, that kind of concludes our chat here with Natasha this morning. Um, I just remind you that this has been run in conjunction with the Resilience for Dairy program that, that I'm involved with and the third program in our series Next week, we'll focus in a bit more on the whole roadway issue that Ned Dunphy highlighted and, and Natasha alluded to. So again, we're focusing on lameness in next week's webinar, and we'll be talking a bit more about the whole area of um, roadway assessment and the kind of roadways that we see out there. And we'll be joined, Stuart to present next week, I'm not around, and uh, Stuart Childs is, and we'll be joined by our postgraduate student, uh, Paul Marr from Moorpark, who's conducting his PhD in this particular area. So without further ado, I thank you very much for your attendance and uh, interest, and I thank Natasha for a very good, very good and very well summarised presentation. Thanks, Natasha. Thanks, George. See you all next week. Bye-bye. That's all for this week's bonus episode from the Let's Talk Dairy webinar series, and don't forget to look out for more bonus episodes each week. I'll be back with the usual Dairy Edge podcast on Monday, so do listen in then. I'm Stuart Childs and thanks for listening.